So um, on Friday, I was working away on my cool new big giant design stylus, and I get a call, and it's the proverbial call from the doctor's office. And I don't know why they do these calls on Friday afternoon, right? I think they should do these calls on Monday morning, not on Friday afternoon. So I get this call, and it's from the cardiologist's office. My doctor said I should go see the cardiologist because I had like low heart rate, and she wanted, wanted me to get checked out. So I, long story short, nobody panic. I'm not, I haven't been given any you know, death notice or anything. I don't think he'd wait, say wait until Monday if that were the case, right? But still though, when the cardiologist calls you on Friday and says, hey, we notice a little anomaly in your, your readings. I, I did a monitor, 24 hour monitor. We notice anomaly, there's an atrial fibrillary, I can't say the word, AFib. How about that, right? And so the doctor wants you to come in Monday and, and talk about it and review it and, and talk about it. And I said, okay. And then I said, okay, is this something I should like look up on the internet and stress about all weekend? And of course the nurse, nurse goes, oh, no, 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 not, not at all. And I'm like, okay. And I hung up the phone and I immediately looked up on the internet and stressed about it all weekend, right? <laughs> so that's been my weekend worrying about what this means. And it, you know, I, my mom had it. It didn't, she didn't pass away because it, it, it's something I'm sure I'm gonna be able to live with, no big deal. But it's still, you know, a little bit of a sobering phone call, yeah? I told Robert, I feel like the prophet Jeremiah, it's like I have to experience and live whatever it is the message is for the Sunday that I'm preaching on, right? So, uh, so yeah, I'm really feeling it, even though it's, I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna be fine, but I'm feeling it, and, and I, it's interesting to me, you know, I think the Lord has a way of intervening in our lives and using these sort of events to get our attention, does he not? And it's exactly what happens to Hezekiah. So let's go, let's go, Isaiah 38, we're going to read about Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Dun, dun, dun. Right? I mean, that is about as bad as it can get, right? When the prophet of God comes to you and says, guess what? It's, you're, you're done. It's over. Your life is over. It's time for you to die. Set your, set your house in order. Hezekiah responds by saying, verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Interesting how... Isn't that interesting? He turns his face to the wall. When you get like really bad news or something unexpected happens or you suddenly feel really hurt or really emotional, isn't that kind of a natural reaction, right? To kind of turn away from, if you're, especially if you're with a group of people, you just want to kind of hide and go to the corner and, and turn your face to the wall. And, and Hezekiah is really, when he's turning his face to the wall, he's really turning his face to the Lord, right? Because in the very next verse, he prays, and three and said, please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So Hezekiah gets this really horrible bad news. He turns his face to the wall, turns his face to the Lord and says, Lord, and says this prayer. And I, I want to look at this prayer a little bit and, and say, first of all, Hezekiah could say this prayer because I think he actually lived it. 
right? Let's look at his prayer. He says, I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And I think that's true. In fact, the, the parallel um, recordings of Hezekiah's life in Kings and in Chronicles demonstrate that Hezekiah was that way, that he was a reformer. He was a king who followed after his father, David, and not a king who followed after his father, Ahaz. He was very much like David. He reestablished temple worship. He re reinvigorated worship in Judah. He destroyed the Assyrian. He, he was really aggressive in taking idolatry out of Judah. That was the kind of king that Hezekiah was. So he's living a godly, faithful life, and yet he gets this horrible news, right? Does living a faithful life to God make us immune to bad news? No, it doesn't. Right? But when bad news comes, we have the opportunity. And the question for us is, can we, with Hezekiah, say, can we pray, I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight? Can you say that in the midst of bad news? Can you turn to the Lord and let that be an expression, a true and genuine expression of, the, of your heart? By the way, Hezekiah is not perfect. He didn't live a perfect life. And in fact, Jared next Sunday is going to preach on some of his imperfections, I'm sure. And if you read the story of his life, you see all kinds of imperfections. And in fact, a little bit later in this chapter, we're going to see him talking about how the Lord has put his sin behind him. Hezekiah's sin, the Lord has put behind him. So it doesn't, it's not about living a perfect life or sinless life but it's about living a life before the Lord in faithfulness, right? Let me put it this way. In the moment of death, we realize that it is the moments that really count, right? When something really goes south, something really goes wrong, especially if it threatens our life, suddenly the moments of our life are incredibly precious to, to us, are they not? I don't think Hezekiah is weeping and grieving because he's going to experience death. He's weeping and grieving because he's about to lose all these great moments of his life that he's counting on. And we're going to actually see that in a moment. So it's in the moment of death we realize that in the moment, it's the, the moments of life that really count. When tragedy strikes, it's, it's this moment that really matters. So what do we do with that? We give Jesus our full trust and faith in the moment, in this moment. We trust Jesus. We give him our full trust and faith. We give Jesus our whole heart in this moment. We do right by Jesus in this moment. And when you make it about this moment, when you make it about, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me in this moment? How can I live my life before you in this moment? How can I turn and take a step of faith in this moment, then after a while, guess what? You'll come to a point where you can say and pray from your heart. You can say, Lord, you can agree with Hezekiah and you can say the prayer, oh Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. When you live in the moment before the Lord. And I wanna caution you, don't get all manic on me, okay? doesn't mean that every moment you've got to like take the kingdom by storm you know every moment's got to be this amazing 
fruitful moment where you just nail it, right? But what it does mean is that you show up in the moment, whether you're sick or you're weak or you're feeling good. Paul said, remember what Paul said? Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Meaning when I'm weak in myself, I'm strong in the Lord. So it's about just showing up in that moment, wherever you are, and understanding that you are there with the Lord. You are there before the Lord. Sometimes that moment is a moment of rest, right? Sometimes that's a moment of turning to the wall and having a good cry, right? Sometimes that moment is stepping out and pronouncing something very boldly, right? So it's not about being either hyper-productive or not productive at all, all the time. It's about just taking life in the seasons of life and showing up in the Lord in whatever the season is. I think oftentimes we have a way of trying to separate our spiritual life from the bad parts of our life or the life, the uncomfortable parts of our life. And you know what? The Lord is the Lord of our entire life. All of who we are. The good, the bad, the ugly. You know, if we're caught in sin... We need to seize that moment before the Lord and confess it to him and just admit, Lord, in this moment I recognize that I'm falling short of your, of your glory and your grace and your majesty. I just confess it to you and be with him in that mo moment and repent and not only confess, but then receive by faith his forgiveness, right? Some of us are not very good at confession, some of us are good at confession, but not very good at receiving his forgiveness and his grace. And the gospel is both. Amen? The gospel is confessing, Lord, I've blown it. And the gospel is also receiving and believing by faith that he has forgiven me. And I can walk in that. I can be bold in that. And I can put that be behind me. Just as Hezekiah is going to say in a moment, God has put my sin behind him. So that's Hezekiah's prayer, and if you want to be able to express that prayer from your heart in whatever moment of this life that you find yourself in, then live each moment before the Lord, whether it's in sickness or in health. All right, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. Notice God acknowledges, look, you are a son of David, not a son of Ahaz. You are David-like. Okay, you have been faithful and served me as David was faithful and served me. Not perfectly, David was not perfect by a long shot, but he had a heart after God's own heart. The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. All right, man, this is like going from the worst possible news to the very best possible news you could have. What, what an amazing turnaround. And again, from if you read the parallel account, you'll learn that right after Isaiah delivers this horrible news to Hezekiah, Isaiah is still just leaving his house. He's halfway through the courtyard, and God says, wait, 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 wait a minute. Go back and tell this, give this message to Hezekiah. So almost immediately, Isaiah comes back to Hezekiah and says, guess what? Turns out God's going to extend your life. He's going to give you 15 more years. Not only is he going to give you 15 more years, but he's going to continue to defeat the Assyrians during your lifetime and that you're going to have your kingdom restored to you, that the kingdom itself is going to be protected. I'm going to protect your life and I'm going to protect your kingdom. And you're going to have this additional full 15 years of living life before me. 
Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Amen. That's what we'll, we'll all sign up for that kind of good news. And one of the things I want to point out here is how the Lord often is so deeply moved with compassion that how often God sees our tears, that he hears our cry. Notice God's response to uh, Hezekiah's prayer in verse 5. He says, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, and what? I have seen your tears. Notice that God didn't say, look, Hezekiah, I know that you've been faithful to me, that you've walked before me with your whole heart, and that you've tried to do everything that's good in my sight. I know you've done that, and therefore I'm going to reward you with another 15 years. That's not what God says. What God says is, I've seen your tears. God is moved with compassion. He's moved by our hearts. His heart is moved by our hearts, right? So when we feel things strongly, know that God is moved by that. He sees that. I, I think of Jesus and his ministry in this, in this world and how often in the Gospels it says Jesus was moved with compassion. When he was preaching to the multitude and he was done preaching, it says that he was moved by compassion for the crowd because they had nothing to eat. It was late in the day. And there's another time, again, when he's pe- preaching to the multitudes, and it says that he was moved by compassion because the multitude were like a flock of sheep with no shepherd. They, they, they had no leader. They were just set adrift, and he was moved with compassion for them. One of the stories, I think, that just really stands out to me in terms of how Jesus is, is moved with compassion is when his good friend, Lazarus, is sick, and he's sick unto death, and, and uh, Mary and Martha, the two brothers of Lazarus, are just distraught about it. And, G- and his disciples are telling Jesus, look, we need to go and you need to heal him because he's on death's door. And Jesus says, well, we're going to wait a little bit because this is, we're going to wait for the glory of God. This is, I'm going to, I have a plan here, okay, and it's going to be to God's glory. So they wait and Lazarus dies. So that's where we pick up the story. I'm, I'm going to go into math, Matthew Chapter 12, verse 39. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 28. Verse 28 says, when, he, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Okay, so Martha has gone, told Mary, look, the master's here. And so, so Mary jumps up and rose quickly and goes out to Jesus. Verse 30, now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. God is not an indifferent God. He's not removed from the heartache and pain of, of living through this life. He feels it. And when we're grieved, he's grieved for us. He cares about our hearts and what we experience in this world. 
Therefore, all the more should we not engage with him and live our life before him in the good, in the bad, wherever it is we're in life. Jesus cares about what's going on in our life, and he's moved by that. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then verse 38 reinforces again. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And then we all know the rest of the story. Jesus says, remove the stone. And then in a loud voice says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. And power, is that awesome? But catch this and notice this about Jesus, his heart, his compassion, and the way that Jesus has moved. Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, right? He told the disciples, no, we're going to wait a little bit because God has a plan and it's to his glory, meaning we're going to wait until Lazarus is dead, then we're going to go, and I'm going to raise him from the dead, and it's going to be all to God's glory, and it will demonstrate God's power, right? Jesus knows this is going to happen, and yet... In that moment when Mary and Martha and everyone is grieving and crying and weeping, Jesus enters into that grief with them. Even though he knows there's going to be a big old party in about 10 minutes, right? There's going to be a big celebration. We're going to unwrap Lazarus and he's going to be alive again. Jesus knows that's just about ready to happen. And yet he still in the moment enters into the grief that everybody's feeling in that, in that moment. Right? That's how much the Lord desires to be with us as we go through the seasons of our life and the moments of our life. And he will be there with us, even though he knows, hey, this is all going to get resolved. You know what? At one point, you're going to come home and be with me, right? If that's the ultimate resolution. But this is all going to get resolved. But he still is with us knowing where we are. So why not engage him? Why not live our life before him in every aspect of our life, in every moment of our life? And don't separate out a piece of your life away from him because you think it's not, uh, he's going to be, you're not going to be comfortable with that. You're not going to like that. Well, maybe not. But if you put it before him and let him enter into an aspect of your life, he'll change it, right? He'll make you, make you more like him. The other thing I want to point out, going back to Isaiah 38, And really, let's pick up the story in Isaiah 38, verse 7. Isaiah continues this message to Hezekiah, and he says, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. Okay, so the next thing I want to point out is not only is God moved by compassion, but he can move powerfully. God is very powerful, right? So not only does God give Hezekiah the message, but he also gives him a sign. And I think that's to Hezekiah's benefit and to our benefit. That is is an evidence, it's a proof. Hezekiah, you can believe that I'm going to save your life and I'm going to give you a sign to help you believe. And the sign is I'm going to, rewind time. And actually, again, if you read the parallel account, God actually gives Hezekiah a choice. He says, I'm going to give you a sign. Which sign would you like to have? Would you like me to fast forward time 10 steps or rewind time 10 steps or rewind the sun's shadow on the sundial 10 steps? And Hezekiah says, well, it's probably easy for you, God, to fast forward time steps, but it's probably a lot harder to rewind it 10 steps. So Go ahead and rewind it 10 steps, and and that's exactly what God does. 
And it's funny, it's, it's funny when we talk about miracles and think about miracles, and I was reading some scholars will try to explain this miracle. Like, you know, the, the obvious question is, well, how could God, like, stop the entire world, turn it back 10 degrees so the sundial goes back 10 degrees, and then pick it up again and go forward? How, how is that possible? That's crazy. But isn't a miracle, by definition, a miracle? Isn't it something crazy and, like, that can't be done? And, and the scholars will try to explain how this miracle could work. Well, maybe it was a, the cloud got in the way of the sun and it kind of diffracted, the sunlight diffracted, which means it kind of bent around the edge of the sun and, and it caused it to move back 10 steps, which, by the way, the physics of that is true. That's true. That could happen. Maybe it was an eclipse that did the same thing, again, refracted the sunlight. That, that's true. That could happen. But it dodges the point. The point is God is... God is saying, look, I'm going to do something really out of the ordinary that's not explainable so that you understand that I am moving, okay? And God does that throughout the New Testament. Jesus' miracles are a way of Jesus identifying himself and testifying and validating that he is the Son of God, that his word is true. When he raises Lazarus up from the dead, that's, that's only something God can do, right? When he ch- changes water into wine, that's only something God could do. Some of us are like, yeah, I wish I could do that. Wedding ceremony, change a big cistern full of water into wine. That'd be cool. But that's a God thing, right? Only God could do it, and that's the point. And and God, in his graciousness to Hezekiah, is saying, look, Hezekiah, you can believe I'm going to do this. In fact, and I'll give you this sign. It's interesting, when Jesus was preaching, the Pharisees said, well, okay, if you're the son of God, give us a sign. We need to see a sign. And, of course, Jesus, knowing their hearts, know that, you know what, they're just set dead against believing that he's the Son of God. And it's almost no matter what he'll do, they're not going to believe in him. And Jesus' response to that is to, is to say, look, I'm only going to give you one sign, and the sign is the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. And and at the end of that time, what happens? Jesus is resurrected from the grave. So that's the sign. The sign of power, the, the sign that we have for Jesus, the, 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 the one benchmark we have to, to say, okay, Lord, I can trust you, I can believe you, I can believe that you're going to deliver on your promise, is the sign of Jesus raising from the dead, the sign of Jesus being nailed to the cross, raised up like Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness for our forgiveness, going into the earth for three days, and then resurrecting. That's the sign of signs, and that's what we pin our hope and our faith on in Christ. And, then, and as we choose to live each moment, whatever the moment is that we're given, that we choose to live that moment before the Lord, that's the sign that we're looking to. That's what we have confidence in, that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? All right, so this next section is Hezekiah writing kind of a memoir of this big event that he had in his life, right? And of course, this is a pretty significant event, right? You know, because you prayed and asked the Lord and he's moved with compassion, you're actually going to live. That's, that's a significant event. And when you have an experience like that, it tends to kind of resonate with you really for your whole, the rest of your life. I will never forget the moment when the ER doctor came to me and said, you know what, your wife has had a ruptured brain aneurysm. It's very serious. It's very bad news. And it, 
it's not good. And, and it's very likely that she's not going to survive. I mean, that, that moment resonates with me to this, to this moment, to this day. And that's 10 years ago now, babe? A little more than 10 years ago, last summer. 10 years ago, last summer, yeah. And so big events like this where God grabs us by our, our collar and, and says, hey, this is, this is really going down. This is life. Those things resonate with, with us for a long period of time. And that's exactly what happens with Hezekiah. So he takes this time at some point and writes down kind of a, a, a memoir of what he experienced and what came out of this whole episode with the Lord and kind of what his takeaway was from this experience. So let's go. First Tim. I said in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall, know, I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. So a couple things here. This guy is relating how in that first moment, God's saying, look, you're going to die. It's just the shock and awe of that. And, and this happened in Hezekiah's life when he was like right at the prime. He, it's, notice in the, in the beginning of 10, it says, in the middle of my days, meaning right at the prime of my life. You know, I've, I've established my kingdom. I've reestablished worship, worship in the temple. I've, there's been this revival in Judah. Um, and I'm finally just ready to live life to its fullest, right at the prime, at this pinnacle of my life. And God says, I'm going to die. You know, that is a shock and awe moment. And it would be like for us, you know, getting well, you're well established in your career. You've got things figured out. Your, your home is sorted out. You've gotten, you've made it through the early years of marriage and, and, and your kids just being born and kind of getting a handle on your career where everything is all happening all at the same time. And now things have gotten kind of like you found the rhythm and you're in it and boom, you run right smack into the wall. And that's exactly Hezekiah's experience. And that happens to believers. That happens to faithful followers of Christ. So I'm here to tell you, don't be shocked when you have that shock and awe moment. And most importantly, don't forget that Jesus is there with you in that shock and awe moment. He hasn't left you. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You haven't been abandoned. But you are in that place of shock and awe. And God is going to use it and it won't make sense in the moment at all, and it will be very confusing, right? But God will use it, and, you, and we just trust him in those kinds of moments and just take a, take a deep breath and know that he's going to walk with you through it. Verse 12, my dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. It's so, such powerful poetry. I mean, can't you just feel that, that idea that, you know, this body is just going to be taken down like a tent, just like that, boom. You know how fast it takes down, a, how, to, how fast it is to take down a Bedouin tent? I mean, they, those guys, they can have that tent down in like moments, right? And they're often moving, and that's how it is with our life in this world. This body is one heartbeat away from it being done. And Hezekiah feels that deeply. I love the, the image of the weaver. Our life is like a loom, and, and the time of our life is like the, what is it, the, the weave or the woof? Who are weavers in here? 
One is called the weave and one is called the wolf, I think, if I'm remembering it right. Anyway, the time that flows coming out of the, the loom and then the things that happen each day is like the weave going back and forth, you know, the shuttle that goes back and forth and weaving this, this fabric. And it's interesting, we look at our lives and we kind of, kind of see the patterns of, our, of the fabric. And, and if you've put your hope and faith and trust in the Lord, you can see this fine little golden thread woven throughout. Even the worst patches of that fabric, there's this golden thread of the Lord's grace and presence and provision in the midst of our lives. Verse 14, or verse 13, sorry. I calmed myself until morning like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My ears are weary with looking upward. Oh Lord, I, I am oppressed by my, be my pledge of safety. Again, he's just deeply feeling the shock and awe of the, coming to the end of his life. And even, remember, it was only a moment. He only thought he was going to die for just a brief moment. And yet that moment is so powerful and so strong that he's continuing to vibrate with it, to resonate with it, to ponder and think about and, and, and grieve over it. Lord, man, that was so close. God, I, I, I am just worn out, worn out by looking up at you. I'm, I'm worn out by, by my tears and, and crying out to you. I want to summarize that, this idea by saying, when your last moment comes, what will you miss the most? Will it be the gift of his presence that brings to each moment? The friends and family, brothers and sisters, the Lord has blessed you with? Think about that for a moment. When, when you find out it's the last moment of your life, what will you miss the most? I, remember, I saw a movie, I'm not sure I'm going to remember the title of it, but there's this angel that comes and takes this little girl to heaven. She's passed away from, from something. And the angel, as they're walking away from the hospital, the angel looks down at her and he said, so what was your favorite part? And she goes, long pajamas with, with with socks, you know, built, those pajamas that have the sh socks built into them. She goes, that was my favorite part. And when we come to the end of our life, what, what are we going to miss about our life? What, what's valuable? What's really important? Our spouse, our family, our kids, our grandkids. What's really important about your life? What's meaningful? I tell you, one, one thing that makes each moment of our life and each interaction of our life so much more valuable is to know that we live it in the presence of the Lord. I think one of my favorite, one of my, my, I've got all kinds of favorite things I love to do. One favorite thing I love to do is to sit and have coffee in the morning. I love coffee in the morning. It's just one of those, you know, Folgers moments, right? Oh, Folger moment. And it's that, those moments are best when I'm having it with Donna and sharing that time with Donna. And they're, the very best when Donna and I are sitting and having our coffee and we're talking about the Lord and talking about some aspect of, of who, they, who the Lord is or the nature of his love towards us or whatever is going on. It's like those are the precious moments to me and, and they're made so much more precious when I'm aware of, conscious of the fact that I am having that moment with the Lord before the Lord, that I'm living my life before the Lord Oftentimes we just, we miss those moments until God gives us a little reminder that, you know what, these moments are precious and they're not forever. They, we're not in this world forever. We're not 
in this life of struggle and challenge and putting our faith in the Lord and hoping in the Lord, that's not a forever thing. These, this time of battle, in a way, is a precious time because we're walking by faith. We're walking by hope, right? We have eternity. We're going to be in eternity, and that's glorious, and that's even more potent and more powerful than this life. But this life it has its own uniqueness, its own specialness to it. And we want to live this life before the Lord. Continue on with Hezekiah's memoir. Verse 15, what shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and on all these is, is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I, have, I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered, in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you've cast all my sins behind your back. I love that. In verse 17, it says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Right? Scripture says that we face trials. Why? For our benefit, to grow us up into his image, to mature us, to give us the character of Christ. It is for our benefit that we go through the tough things of this life. It's where we do our greatest growth. And of course, the ultimate hope, the ultimate glory is in our salvation that we have in Christ. The thing that takes any bad moment of our life and make it, makes it survivable is the fact that we have salvation in Christ, that Christ has given us salvation, that he takes all those moments where we blew it, all the moments where we weren't mindful of him, all those moments where we rebuild against him, and he just hides those moments behind his back, forgotten forever. And all that much more should we not just press into him and live our life before him and enjoy the moments that we have, what he's given us. We are deeply moved when we are greatly troubled, are we not? When, tough, when time gets really hard, things are really tough, that's often when we are deeply moved. Jesus is deeply moved by compassion but oftentimes he uses the trials to deeply move us. And I want to encourage you, if, when, not if, but when you have a significant event in your life, something that really rings your bell, something that is either really traumatic or something that is just really joyful, whatever, and anything in between that's significant, I encourage you to take a little time out like Hezekiah is in this whole passage and think about, meditate on, okay, Lord, what? What did all of this mean? And maybe even journal it. Some of, I wish I was a journaler. It'd be awesome to go back and read, okay, this, how, this is what I was doing in 1978. Or maybe it wouldn't be awesome, I don't know. <laughs> but I wish I was, but I'm not. I'm just telling you, I'm not a journaler. But it, there's great value, at least in those significant times of your life, and in, in taking a little time and writing down and, and seeking the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, what does this mean? What do I do with this? Verse 18, for, she, for Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you. As I do this day, the Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play music on string instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Rejoice in the life that God has given us, right? 
whether he says, guess what, you're going to live another 15 years and your kingdom is going to be reestablished, or he says, you know what, this is it. You know, this is your last day, this is your last week, this is your last year. The point is, let's live our life before the Lord. Let's be in the moment with him, confess, confessing our sins, celebrating the salvation that he's given us, right? Let's pray.